0: And before we um, before we move any further, uh, Reverend Vernal Sims is in the house, so let me bring him up today, since he's here. Reverend Vernal Sims is uh, going to join us as a part of the pulpit team. We're glad to have him with us. Now, have they been singing like that all through August? Yeah. Yeah. Sound like it. (laughs) Genesis 35. Genesis 35. It's going to take me about two weeks to get through this whole thing, so we'll start today uh, in verse 1. Genesis 35 and verse 1. If you have that, say amen. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, whom appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you were in the early service today? All right. Y'all act like y'all haven't heard this. <laughs> <laughs> you ought to know when to say amen, too. Amen. Since <laughs> amen. <laughs> All right, well, I want to use as a thought for uh, this week and next Sunday, getting back on track. Amen. Getting back on track. Now, I... I, um. I have to make a personal confession, and that is that uh, pretty often I, Damon B. Jones Sr., find myself headed in the wrong direction. And um, it doesn't mean that I'm not moving, I'm always moving. But sometimes I look up and notice that Things don't look the way they're supposed to look. And if you're not careful, you can misinterpret what you're seeing and blame it on something or someone else. The scenery doesn't look right. Well, it could be because you're on the wrong road. So I'm saying sometimes I, I start to realize that um, what I'm seeing and feeling doesn't seem exactly right, and it takes me a while um, because you know you start to feel like you're out there on this road by yourself. You start to feel like maybe life just just ain't right, and maybe. Life is just not ever going to treat me right. And so you keep moving, but you you really don't feel like you're going anywhere, or at least that you're going in the right direction. Now, I don't know if I'm in here by myself or not, and don't really matter. I'm telling you how I feel about it. Sometimes it takes a minute for me to figure out that I'm just on the wrong road. I'm moving, but I'm not moving on the right road. And, and so if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm moving, but I'm moving down the wrong road, then the wrong road is always gonna lead me in the wrong direction. And so sometimes I look around and I see the scenery and it's just not feeling right, it's not looking right, it don't seem right, and it takes me a minute to catch up to myself and realize that maybe, maybe, I veered off the right path. So, so my wife is a natural GPS. So, when we're in the car, um, she always knows the best way to go. She always knows the most direct route. We can land in a city in which we've never been. Give that girl a few minutes. We don't need a GPS trim to rent a car, people. In fact, sometimes we get arrogant at the counter. You say, I ain't paying for that. (laughs) You see this? No, I I don't do that. But I know that if you give her a minute, she's going to know how to direct you. Thank God when you have the right person. Because if the wrong person is in that seat, you end up on the wrong road, traveling in the wrong direction. Now, when she's not with me, that's another ballgame. Um, And not because I have a horrible sense of direction. I'm a creature of habit, so I generally take the same route when I'm going and coming. And then if something happens on that route, now I'm a a little flustered. But thank God for my GPS. See, you're never alone when you got your GPS. Thank God they put them on the phones now. So even if you don't have one in your car, you've got your GPS because when my GPS is programmed pre programmed yeah. let me throw out another theological word predestined yeah. <laughs> to mark out beforehand when 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 I take the extra time to program where I'm supposed to go and then all you do is you hit go and the, the route is, is kind of mapped out for you. And, and so to get me back on the right road and heading in the right direction, I, I need somebody that knows more than me, that can see further than what I can see, and can see all of the traffic jams and all of the problems that are up ahead that there's no way I could see on my own. I hope you all hear what I'm saying. Now, there are times when I really do think I know a better way. Don't look at me funny, because there's a whole lot of you sitting here. Sometimes I think I know a better way. Sometimes I think I know a faster way. Sometimes I think I know how to get around somebody that I think is driving too slow in front of me. And I'm learning, and I have learned, that if you make enough wrong turns, if you get good at making wrong turns, you're going to learn some things about wrong turns. There there are some of us that have some wrong turn experience in our lives. There, There are some of us that are well familiar with making wrong turns. And it doesn't take you too long to understand and to realize and to learn that when you make wrong turns, they will lead you always in the wrong direction. When you make a wrong turn, it will prolong your trip. When you make a wrong turn, it will increase your frustration and anxiety. When you make a wrong turn, you're going to waste your gas. When you make a wrong turn, it's going to make you late. When you make a wrong turn, it's going to cause you to miss something important. When you make a wrong turn, you're wasting a lot of unnecessary time. And time that often you cannot get back. That's kind of what I think is happening in this text today. God is speaking to Jacob. God had previously commanded Jacob to head back home. Wherever you are right now, pack it up and go home. You'll see that chapter 31, verse 13. God tells Jacob, return to the land of your family. But Jacob does something totally different. Jacob decides to take another road. Jacob does the exact opposite of what God commands, and of course, he winds up on the wrong road, heading in the wrong direction. He veers off course, and he takes his own way. And that's pretty much what happens when we disobey God's commands. We often end up on the wrong road and heading in the wrong direction, which means we'll never get to the right place if you're on the wrong road going in the wrong direction. God had already said, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar, where you made a vow to me, arise, go up out of this land, and return to the land of your family. He had already said that. It was pre-programmed. We all know that there are always consequences to disobeying God. But just like there are consequences to disobeying God, there are blessings when we obey him. And so the text is clear. God speaks to Jacob. But I want to show you that God not only speaks to Jacob, but God speaks to Jacob again. Now that's important. While well, he had been speaking to him back... In previous chapters which means that when he speaks now he's speaking to him again remember Jacob is not where he's supposed to be he's not doing what he's supposed to do he's traveling in the wrong direction and the good thing is that even though he's not where he's supposed to be not even headed in the right direction he runs into God and God says you know what I still got something to say to you (laughs) Now that ought to be exciting for somebody in here because that means that when you mess up, when you're on the wrong path, when you're on the wrong trail, when you're going in the wrong direction, thank God he doesn't just stop talking to us. There are some people that if you mess up with them, they don't talk to you anymore and distance grows, but thank God that when we mess up, he is still waiting there with his arms outstretched, getting ready to tell us something else we need to hear. So, so he speaks to him again. Chapter 35, verse 1. Our text says, Arise, go back to Bethel and make an altar unto God. Now, I want you to pay close attention just to those few words. There's a whole lot of stuff in just those few words. He says, First, I want you to arise. All right? First thing God says to him, Arise. Now, that's critical. Uh, And it's really not all that deep, because it just means to rise up. The the imagery is a person who is doing what you're doing right now. The imagery is a person who is sitting, who upon hearing the command, stands. Hmm? So it's it's not all that deep. Somebody said, hey, arise, and everybody stands up at one time. That's what's happening. So it's it's not just the standing, but it's immediate action, and it's also dramatic action. Because for some of us, it's dramatic to have to stand. Y'all pretty slow in here. Some of us, you know, if you sit long enough, it becomes quite an experience to have to stand immediately. Oh, come on. Ain't nobody insulting you, I'm just saying. I mean, i I'm not an old person, but I ain't in my 20s either, and I can tell you right now that when I sit, I drove not too long ago from, from, from one city to the next, and my daughter said, why are you walking like an old man? And I felt like saying, because I just drove all these miles. I started having this pain in my knee that I never had before, and it made me go up and down steps, you know, like an old man, I guess and it took a few weeks to work it out. So I get it. It can be a dramatic experience to have to immediately stand. And yet what God is telling Jacob is, get up right now. Now, why was he saying that to Jacob? Well, because whatever you're doing, Jacob, I need you to put it down, come away from it, because it's time to go. And if God tells you to arise, it's because... He's about to take you somewhere. And that's good news for people that really want to go somewhere. I promise you, I want to go somewhere. I don't like just sitting around stagnating and being the same, doing the same. I want to get up, and I want to go wherever God wants to take me. So when he says, let's go, when he says, arise, it's time to get up. So, so he says, arise, because he's about to take me. Somewhere. And what God wants is for you and for me, if we veered off course, if we found ourselves on the wrong road, what God wants for me and for you is for us to experience a recalibration. See, when you find yourself, I'll tell you how my car works. When I, when I find myself off the road that the GPS set, it recalibrates because it understands that where I am going does not lead to the destination that has been programmed. So I have to recalibrate, it it will recalibrate, and then it starts to tell me this is what you need to do to get back on the right road. Now, you can ignore me if you want to, but you can never get to the right place on the wrong road. I wish y'all was hearing me today. So so this is what my, my, in my car, this is what my GPS says. Some of you heard it, some of your cars will say it, it'll say this. Um, when, it, when, it, when it detects that I, I have veered off or when I have deliberately made a turn, when it, when it realizes that I'm not heading in the way I'm supposed to go, my GPS says to me, make a legal U-turn. Anybody else ever heard that in your car? Make a legal. See, they know who they're talking to. That's why they got to say legal. Make a legal U-turn. Not just a a U-turn, don't break the law trying to get right. You don't do wrong trying to get right. Make a legal U-turn. Now listen, the Lord wants to take me somewhere, and I'm trying to go. He wants to take you somewhere too, and I hope you're trying to go too. But you can't get there traveling on the wrong road or heading in the wrong direction. It just doesn't work that way. You've got to go back to the point where you turned off to get back on the right road. So that you can then be heading in the right direction. So what I'm going to tell you, maybe you need to, see, you done looked up and you're like, where am I? I'm doing stuff I never thought I would do. I'm saying stuff I never thought I would say. I'm hanging with people I never thought I'd be hanging with. I'm doing stuff. I'm smoking stuff, drinking stuff. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm thinking stuff. I'm looking at stuff. I'm posting stuff. I'm dressing in ways. What happened to me? You veered off. Somehow you got on the wrong road. And and here's what I'm saying. If you want to get back on the right road, make a legal U-turn. Go back to where it started. Go back to praying like you used to pray. Go back to coming to worship consistently and not making cameo appearances. Go back to giving as God has blessed you instead of expecting everything just to come from him. Go back to the friends that you had who loved the Lord and not them little shady people from the job that you've been running around with. you got to go back. you got to get back in ministry. What happened to you? Where are you now? One of the things I learned in ministry in these 30 years of being in ministry is this. You can't quit. And most of the people that I see that are able to quit, you got to then wonder why they were doing it in the first place. Because if it's real ministry, you got to do it when it feels good. You got to do it when it doesn't feel good. You got to do it when people are with you. You got to do it when you're mad. You got to do it when you're happy. You got to do it when you're sad. Because it's none of those people that called you to do what you do or gifted you to do what you did. So quitters are generally people who are doing it for themselves. And I'm saying if that's you, ain't nobody mad at you. What we're trying to tell you is make a legal U-turn and go back so you can get back on the right road. Go back to Bible study. Huh? You done put the road map down and you trying to move on your own. Go back to Bible study. Let the Lord tell you which way you're supposed to be going. Go back to your personal devotions with the Lord. Spend some quiet time with him. You've been spending too much time with power and all these shows that's taken your mind somewhere else. Go back to the word. You've been spending too much time on social media being fed with all that garbage. Go back. Go back to the word. Go back to seeking direction from him for your life. Hmm. See, too many of us can't understand why nothing seems to be going right, nothing seems to be going well in our lives. Things aren't, are just falling apart all around me. I seem to have more bad days than good days. Depression wakes me up in the morning and Tries to keep me from going to sleep at night. Some of us can't remember the last time we actually smiled for real. We all got the little phony one. Some of us don't remember the last time we had a good laugh. Can't remember what it was like not to be worried about something. Just tired of all of the stress and all of the conflict that life seems to throw at us, and life throws a lot of stress and a lot of conflict at us. But you know what, if you're a child of God, if you believe the Bible, huh? if you have the Holy Spirit operating in your life, it doesn't matter what's going on around you as long as you understand what God is doing inside of you. And it's because you went your own way. Sometimes we listen to the wrong people. God help you if you spend the rest of your life listening to the person in the passenger seat. Because if it's not the right person, they're going to lead you in the wrong direction. And because all you need to hear is a few things about yourself, you stay with them. you cute. you fine. you handsome. You smell good. And if that's enough for your little weaknesses then you'll continue to listen to those people because they're feeding something in you that the Lord ought to be working on, but you can't let the Lord work on them because you don't want to stay around the people that'll tell you the truth. Oh, where's all my old school people that didn't mind telling you exactly what was wrong with you? The old school people used to say, child, your stuff stink. Old folk used to say, you just trifling. Old folk would say, what are you wearing, and where are you wearing that to? You're supposed to be going to church. (laughs) That's old school people. So you listen to the people in the passenger seat, you listen to the, you listen to the people in the back seat, you listen to people can't even drive. People ain't gave you no gas money at all, and that's the people you listening to. And so we listen to either ourselves or these people, and we take a different route, thinking we could get where we wanted to be instead of where God wanted us. See, because where we wanted to go usually ain't the same as where God's trying to take us. Where we wanted to go seemed more fun. You don't have to go to church as much. You know, I ain't going to say a minute out. <laughs> Scenery is better over there where I want to go. It's a little, 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 things look a little nicer over there where I'd like to go. You, there's a shortcut to how you get over there. I don't, have to, I don't have to be challenged with all this commitment where I'm trying to go. I, I, can, get, I can get around that. You know, some things look better on the surface. I want to, and what we're essentially saying is, I want to be in control of my life. I don't want to do it the way God said do it. That's too much work. I want to do it the way I want to do it. And that's why the Bible is so clear that God really does want to take you somewhere that you've never been. But you have to know that there is a way that seems right to man. Proverbs 14, 12. But the end thereof is death. Now, I ain't trying to die before it's time. So I would rather listen to Proverbs 14, 12, and then I want to embrace Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with with all my heart. Lean not to my own understanding, but in all my ways acknowledge him and let him direct my path. Lord tells Jacob to arise, but then he tells him to go up. Now, I like that. He says, arise first, but then he says, I want you to go up. Go up means to go from a lower elevation to a higher elevation. It's to graduate. It's to take you away from one place and bring you to another. It's to lift you from where you are to where you can experience the power of God in your life. And if God is telling you to go up, it's because he wants to take you to another level. Some of us can't get to where we need to go because you're too shallow. You're too petty. Y'all ain't helping me at all. You just just sitting in this building is enough for you. That's not enough for me. Sitting here, and I love everybody in the building. I love all of y'all. But me being here with you right now is not enough for me. I need to be here because I need to worship him in spirit and in truth. And I need to let him take me to another place. That's why I don't come for you and you shouldn't come for me. We all are supposed to come for the Lord because only he can take us where we belong. So if God is telling you to go up, it's because he wants to take you to another level. You, me, we are not designed to just stay where we are. We were not designed to stagnate. We were not designed to sit here still. God created us with the ability and the capacity to think and move and grow and progress and to do things that dumb other people will not do. Now notice where he tells them to go. I'm going to hurry up because some of y'all went to sleep already. Y'all usually give me about three weeks for you go to sleep on me, not my first week. But. <laughs> he says, go to Bethel. Bethel was the place, Genesis 28, where Jacob is on the run from his brother Esau. The reason he's running from his brother Esau is because he stole his brother's birthright. That was a really big thing back then. He steals his brother's birthright his brother says and the mother says you know what here pack your stuff you need to go because your brother is going to be comforted when he kills you and so he takes off and he runs and he stops to go to sleep and he is out among the stars and he pulls up a rock lays down and falls into this deep sleep and while he's sleeping there's this dream of a ladder and angels descending and ascending on this ladder and when he wakes up he says wait a minute! Surely." The Lord is in this place. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. He got up, he poured oil on the stone upon which he laid his head, and he called the place Beth-el. Y'all with me? Now, Beth-el comes from two words in the Hebrew, Beth, which means house. If you ride through the city, you see Jewish synagogues, uh, and, and, and you'll notice that they are always named beth something. Uh, Beth Israel means house of Israel. Y'all with me? Because Beth means house. So Beth and then L-E-L means God. God meaning the strong one And, and actually it means the strongest strong one. So you put the two together, Beth and L, you have Bethel which means the house of God or the house of the strong one. Now He is telling him that it's time to head back to the house of God. And God tells him that when you get there, dwell there. Get comfortable being there. I want you to spend some time there. It's not a place where you can rush in and rush out quickly. Plan to spend some quality time in my house. Now, I don't want you to get confused about this. Watch this. Now, notice he's not telling him to go to a particular building. He's not telling him, I want you to get down to that place at 1323 North 52nd Street. Do I have a witness in here somewhere? Because the church is not about the building that it's in. Because if that's true, those people that are across the street right now in the DBJ Center who came from 65th and Lansdowne, they would no longer be a church. But because they know that they are the body of Christ, it doesn't matter that God, that their building got burned down. They know that wherever they go, they are in the house of God. So he's not telling him to go to a physical building. The other way we know that is because when Jacob woke up, he went to sleep under the stars. When he woke up, he was still under the stars. He was not in a physical building. There was no building. What he was experiencing was the presence of God covering him. So the house is the covering. God tells Jacob, I want you to come back and dwell in my covering. I want you to dwell in my presence. Wish I had somebody in here. He further commands Jacob to build an altar back there in Bethel. Now, the altar was really just a wooden table or a stone. So it's not about the actual physical table, but it's more about what took place on the table. The altar was a place where the divine and the human came together. So that when God told somebody to build an altar, he was intending to meet them at that place. Y'all ain't helping me at all in here. So that means that when you build altars and when God tells you to come, he wants you to come and worship me. Because if you come in my presence and worship me, I promise I will meet you there. And some of the things that you need, I'll make sure you have them. So if you want to get back on the right track, what you're going to have to do is get back in his presence. I wish I had some real help in here. It it, it was an altar. It was a place of exchange, communion, and communication. It was a place where God would surely respond to the worshiper. You may feel like you've just veered off the wrong path, and the reason why you're out there on the wrong path is because you're no longer functioning like you understand that you're in God's presence because you have started directing your own life. God says no. No. If you want to get back on the right path, come back up under me in my presence. I will talk to you, and I'll get you back to where you need to be going. It was a place where promises were made and contracts were sealed. The table was used for sacrifices during worship. And a number of things happened. Real quick, real quick. A number of things happened when they knew that they were coming to the altar. Number one, they understood that there would be some stability. In other words, when they got in his presence and they got to the altar, they started feeling a sense of calm. Why? Because they had come from out there. Out there is all kind of hell going on. There's all kind of violence going on. There's all kind of family conflict going on. But when you come in here, you ought to be able to get in his presence and get at his altar and feel a sense of stability. I wish I had a witness in here. So there's stability, but then there's also submission. And submission has to do with letting God know that you will honor him by submitting to whatever he tells you when you get to the altar. You saw this when Abraham offered his only son. He's about to kill his only son on an altar, but then God says, wait a minute, don't kill him, because now I can see that you trust me. Is somebody in here listening to me? So that means that this man had enough faith and trust in God to do whatever God said, even if it was to kill his only son. I'm ready to close on that one right now, but I ain't quite done. So you have stability, you have submission, but the third thing you have is service. Because we're never supposed to come into God's presence and leave without, without feeling a sense of service. Without leaving, not feeling a sense of, I need to be doing something for the Lord. You don't come into his house and worship him, and then you leave and do nothing for him. Everybody is called to do something for the Lord. Now, the reason we know this is right is because God said way back in Leviticus, when you build my altars, and, and there, you know, there's a fire on the altar to burn the sacrifice. So when you burn the sacrifice, you have to keep getting wood to put on there because the Lord said, don't let my fire go out. He said, don't let my fire go out. And so the little priest, he'd run and get some wood and put it on there. He'd get some more wood and put it on there. He'd run and get some more. And then the poor priest kind of wore out. So Nehemiah Nehemiah's day, Nehemiah said, oh, hold on, y'all ain't wearing me out. Everybody needs to go and get some wood and participate in the building of this place. Everybody, go get some wood and bring it in here so that this place, that this fire doesn't go out. That means that everybody in here, you are responsible to be using your spiritual gift. You are responsible to be contributing financially because you are supposed to be putting wood on the altar so that the fire does not go out. God expects that we will come to him, to his house, which really just means his presence because his house can't contain him. He wants us to spend quality time with him in his presence. He wants us to come prepared to build some altars, make some sacrifices to find some stability to submit to whatever he has for our lives and to be inspired to leave out of here and serve. You want to get your life back on track and moving in the right direction? I'm telling you, you need to make a legal U-turn and go on back and start over. When you make that legal U-turn, go back and be prepared to build some altars. Sometimes all it takes for us to get off track is a new friend in your life. Sometimes it's a new job that you got, some new people that are around you, a new neighborhood that you moved into, a tragedy, a sickness, or sudden trauma in your life. It doesn't take a whole lot to throw us off on the wrong path. But I've been waiting all month to tell somebody in here, That the Lord wants you to make a legal U-turn and get back on the right road. And it's all about the Lord and the sacrifices for Him. Now there's one more thing that happens when you come into His presence. And that is when you come into His presence, you're supposed to reflect. In other words, you're supposed to remember. Now some of us got some short memories, but we're all here because God has been good. I said, we're all here because God has been good. In fact, in the text, he says, I want you to go back, go back to that place where I ran into you and you ran into me. That particular place where I came to your rescue, where you were running from your brother. In other words, remember what I did for you. When you come to worship, I said, when you come to worship, you ought to remember what the Lord has done. Did he bring you from a mighty long way? Did he help you when you couldn't help yourself? Has he watched over you all night long? Has he kept you while you slept and slumbered? I'm saying, go back. I said, go back and make a U-turn. I said, go back and make a U-turn. Because you're traveling, you've been journeying on the wrong road. Do I have a witness, any honest people in the house that can stand up and admit that every now and then I'm on the wrong road and I need to turn around, turn around and come back? I just came to tell you, make a legal a legal U-turn and go on back. Now, I need to warn you that when you get back on the right road, it doesn't always feel good. I see Jesus traveling the Via Della Rosa. It's the right road, but it doesn't feel good. They're beating him on the right road. They're spitting on him. On the right road, they're piercing him. On the right road, he's losing blood. On the right road, he's on his way to a hill called Calvary where they'll stretch him wide, where they'll hang him high, where they'll drop him low. But it's the right road. The reason I know that it's the right road is because early. I said early Sunday morning, he got up on the right road. Do I have a witness? Make a legal, a legal U-turn. If you turn around, if you turn around, if you turn around, I promise you that everything, I said everything, everything is going to be all right. Am I right about it? Am I right about it? Am I right about it? Turn around! Let the church say, amen. We thank God for Dr. Jones and that powerful word. And uh, Priscilla Shire says, when God speaks, he he does not speak to be heard only. He speaks to be obeyed. And that word was preached with power and conviction. And now a decision has to be made. Uh, The doors of the church are now open. And you may be here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you're on the wrong.